Well, hello there, and welcome to Consortio Day. This is a podcast about partnering with God to do sacred work. My name is John Chandler, and I'm a spiritual director. And I mostly work with people who are in ministry or different leadership roles, but of course, I'm happy to work with anyone. But this podcast kind of goes alongside that work because uh, it's a unique thing to be in some kind of role of ministry or spiritual leadership. And so I interview people who do that kind of work just to talk about how do you, in the work you do, have healthy rhythms, have healthy habits uh, to stay some way connected with God to form and partner in the work that you're doing. And so I've really enjoyed these conversations. I hope they're helpful for you as well. Thank you for those who listen and thank you for those who have participated. My guest today is Matt Erickson, and I've met Matt online uh, through micro.blog. He and I both participate there, and I could just tell that he is a pastor who, uh, though he has a lot of administrative responsibilities, he leads in a large church with a large staff, spiritual formation is at the heart of who he tries to be as a person and how he tries to lead. And I just picked up on that. And so I was excited uh, when he agreed to come and be on the podcast with us. It's uh, spiritual formation is just something he lives and breathes. It's in his family, his wife is a spiritual director as well. So I, I think you'll really appreciate his perspective. He is the pastor of Eastbrook Church, uh, which is on the north side of Milwaukee, where he has been uh, serving since 2010. Uh, before we get to that conversation, just want to also say that uh, we are in the final weeks, final days, maybe even, depending on when you listen to this, of registration for my fall cohort, Practicing Examine. And there is still some space available for that. I'm looking to fill that out so that we can have a quorum, so to speak. So if you're interested, uh, would love to have you uh, join in on that. It's examinecohort.com. We'll take you directly there. Or uh, if you just go to my spiritual direction website. It's on the cohorts page, consortioday.com. Also coming up though, um, next January, I'm planning to start a practicing centering prayer cohort, which uh, I'm just finding as a practice to be more and more meaningful for me, uh, the more I experience it personally, and I'm hoping to help others uh, experience the value of that. So that'll be coming up in January as well. If you're interested in either of those cohorts, uh, you can go to my website. All right. Thanks so much for listening. And here we are with Matt Erickson of Eastbrook Church. All right. Well, Matt, thank you for um, thanks for meeting with me today. As I, you and I were just talking about, I, I found you online through the microblog community, which is kind of a micro community, but really have appreciated your voice and excited to hear from you today. Thank you so much. Great let's, to be with you, John. Thank you. Let, let's jump right in. And why don't you just tell us about what I call your sacred work. Tell us about your ministry. Sure. I'm a senior pastor at a church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So our church is a non-denominational church. So it's part of a family of roughly probably about 14 churches, not an official network or anything like that. Uh, but the setting that I'm in is a multi-ethnic urban church. It's on the yeah. north side of the city in Milwaukee and has been around for, I think, 43 years. Yeah, I've okay. served here for the last 13 or so following the person who was the founding pastor of about 30 years. Wow. So it's a, okay. it's a unique place. Yeah. Yeah. And you're the, you've been the lead pastor for those 13 years you came in that role? Well, the first year I overlapped with the pastor mm -hmm. who retired and sort of served in a role intending to follow up with him. Um, so, you know, it's, it's been good. 
that first year of just like getting acclimated to the setting, figuring out if this was going to work or not. And uh, yeah, but I've been here for 12 years as the senior pastor, one year as kind of a senior associate following along side of that existing yeah. pastor. And what were, what were some of the other roles you had before this, like sure. in other churches uh, or nonprofits? Yeah. Um, right before that, I was part of a kind of a number two pastor in a church plant. I'd been there for about three, three and a half years. And that was a setting that was kind of on the edge of the suburbs into the country outside of Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I first came to Milwaukee in 2003 and served for five years as a pastor with university students downtown. So it was out oh, of a okay. church, but it was a multi-campus gathering of students doing discipleship on different university campuses around the city, like Marquette University, yeah, uh, yeah. University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, and some art schools and engineering schools. Yeah. And is that, I mean, is that the part of the, not necessarily Milwaukee, but is that the part of the country you've lived your whole life in? Yeah, I'm a Midwesterner. Uh, I grew up in the Mississippi yeah. River Valley uh, in Illinois, and uh-huh. then went to school at Wheaton College in the suburbs of Chicago. Lived there for about six years after college, and then came up to Milwaukee after that time. So I was doing yeah. some church work more as a volunteer, uh, doing a lot of worship leading, uh, music ministry, some college student ministry. And before that time, I worked for World Relief with their Sub-Saharan Africa programs based in the U.S., and supporting our staff internationally. It was a yeah. great experience. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned that the church is multi-ethnic. Has that been, was is was that the story of the church always, or is that something that you've tried to move towards in your ministry season? What's that been? It's a great question, John, because I mean, even that term multi-ethnic is maybe not as I don't know, as well-loved as a term as it used to be, but but the church yeah. was started really close to a university uh, here in Milwaukee. University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee is kind of the second largest university in the state, right after the, the main University of Wisconsin in Madison. And the church was planted really close to that university, it had a vision when it started of reaching out to international students. The founding pastor and his wife had been former missionaries. And so they had this real focus on on reaching out to international grad students primarily. And and so that started to happen. And at the same time, they were in this university setting. So it was a very diverse environment by nature. And so really just over time, the church kind of took shape around that. I wouldn't say that it was a an intentional desire to be multi-ethnic. I think Eastbrook in the past would have described themselves as they use the imagery of like a bridge church between the city and the suburbs, between different Mm. ethnicities, between different socioeconomic statuses. And then when I came like maybe 13 years ago, we said, let's just put this into focus a little bit more um, and be intentional about what that would look like. And so we've tried to grow in that way. I think a little bit more, our church is, uh, planted in a former Roman Catholic church campus that hmm. is in the predominantly African-American section of the city. Yeah. Uh, Milwaukee is one of the most segregated cities in the U.S. And so there's very clear demarcated sections where people live. Hmm. And anyway, you kind of see that with where our church is and it's grown in its African-American population within our church as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and part of the reason I ask that is just because I think that I, I think that kind of, you know, community where there's just a lot of um, learning from one another, right? Having the humility just requires a lot of your own formation and formation as a community, right? So, I appreciate that that's kind of your 
uh, laboratory does not feel like the right word, but that's that's your you know that's what you're working towards, and th- that alone is a an act of your own formation just to engage with those conversations. Yeah. Um, so I I'm curious. I always ask this question. You know, what role does partnering with God play in your work? And really, what I'm getting at with that is the work of being a pastor, um, especially in a you know, a larger church, but even, you know, I've been in both a large church and a small church, and it's true in a small church as well, is there's a very practical aspect to it, and there's a very mystical aspect to it, right? And so, I'm, and I guess that's the question I'm looking at is how does, how does that mystical aspect, that sacred, um, inform the work that you do? It definitely is hugely significant. I'm trying to think sure. of almost like the right place to start. I say to my staff a lot that ministry comes out of the overflow of our own life with God. And so with my staff and in my own life, I'm putting a, a huge emphasis on our own spiritual formation journey. Are we in touch with the places where God wants to grow us? Are we moving from false self to true self? Are we uh, deepening, um, not just in a superficial way around things like reading scripture, but are we letting that enter into a transformational encounter with God and scripture? Is the life of prayer real for us, uh, profound for us? Is it a mixture of, you know, kind of classic spiritual practices and those sorts of things? So partnering with God, I mean, for me personally starts in that personal sure. life very much and then you know it's not it's not a surprise that we would say you know look for the ways where god is at work and join that so i feel like discernment is a really big aspect mm-hmm. of ministry for us and then the partnering with god also like you said uh in this multi-ethnic setting or multi-socioeconomic setting um there's a lot of learning about yourself a lot of awareness humbling that will come as you may come to be aware of something that you didn't realize was a blind spot in your life, something that you felt confident in, but actually revealed your own brokenness or revealed your own prejudice. So being willing to partner with God in those places too. Uh, We do a lot with um, uh, that discernment process I mentioned before. So um, with our, even in some of our staff discussions or our church council discussions, we've leaned in with some of Ruth Haley Barton's process outlined in her book on discernment. And so that ability to release of your own, release your own preference to really come together as a community to discern what God is doing, realizing that God is always the initiator. We're always the responder, just like in prayer, God is the starter of the conversation. We are the responder. Um, All of those things kind of play around that idea of partnering with God. I feel like there's so many things I could talk about there, but it's a, it's definitely a great way to think of it. I, I don't know if I use that phrase, um, but definitely it's echoes some of the things that we would talk about echo with that idea of partnering with God. Yeah. I mean, that's, I use that phrase just because that's kind of what I've tried to build the podcast and my own practice around is what does it look like to partner with God to be attentive? Yeah, that's so, true. So I, I drop it in there. Um, I'm glad you talked a little bit more about discernment because you might have seen like I was shifting around and trying to type because I typed, I want to talk more about discernment. I, that's what I just typed. And you you went there a little more, but um, yeah, I, I, I'm aware in spiritual direction, especially with people in ministry, 
how often I'm having conversations about discernment. And they might not be, that might not be the word that comes up, but that's really what's coming up a lot. A lot of it's around vocation, but it's about other things as well. So, but again, that's often on an individual level. But, you know, you mentioned Ruth Haley Martin's book, which is fantastic. I can't even remember the name of it. You probably could tell us, but um, I'm forgetting. You can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great book. (laughs) We'll we'll drop it in the, we'll drop it in the notes, but um, I'm curious, like what, uh, if you can give like an example of something in your church where you've gone through a process of discernment and, you know, seen something emerge out of that, out of a community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll give one example that may seem like a little bit kind of behind the scenes, but was pivotal for me. We had a key staff person in our church retire, executive pastor, kind of the right-hand person for me. And after that person retired, we formed, you know, a typical thing, you form a search committee who are going to like look through and help evaluate this, who should be the person. So we went through a really long process of trying to find a replacement for that person, Um, came to the end of that process and offered the job to somebody who turned us down, which was a huge letdown. But we also tried to ask the question, what might God be trying to tell us in this? And through that process, we had really used the, the the discernment process that Ruth Haley Barton outlines in her book. And as we got to the end of it and, and we were processing as a search team involving staff and council members and some others from our church, we just sort of went on pause and said, okay, God must be trying to tell us something different that we're not mm-hmm. hearing correctly. And what eventually came out of that for us was the idea that we didn't actually need to replace this position. We mm. need to look at some different things within our staffing structure. And I know that might seem like, okay, that's a, a church of our size would ask those things. But what we did is we, we strengthened some of our existing staff to step into some new leadership. We uh, put some other staff underneath of it. And what we found is that's a way better solution. It revealed some places where having an executive pastor had maybe stunted certain people's growth and not provided opportunities for growth. And it also made me realize that I had become in some places, maybe a little out of touch with my staff, kind of let the executive pastor do that sort of thing. And maybe wasn't pastoring them the way that I should have. So that whole process, and it was a, it was a long process of like a year and a little bit more coming to a blank on a, on a search was a real disappointment, but we felt as we then processed through and took it to the next place that God has really provided and guided us into something that I think is more fruitful for individuals and for the church. So it's been a huge encouragement for us. So that that's like one behind the scenes example yeah, for us. Yeah. That was really, really key. I, you, you leave me wondering, like in hindsight, um, do you, do you think that God was trying to tell you even at the beginning of that process, you don't need to fill this role or do you think you needed to go through the process to discern that? That's a great question. I've actually pondered that myself and tried to go back and say, was there something I was missing yeah. in this? And I didn't, I didn't get that clearly. Yeah. Um, and I wondered if actually we did just have to go through the process so that we would know we couldn't get what we were looking for, or maybe it even reminded us or helped clarify what it is we were really looking for and what we really needed, not just the image of that. Um, so, yeah, I think there are times where it's almost as if God has to take you through a process to show you, you mm-hmm. need to go a different direction. 
And I'm sure other people who may listen to the podcast might experience that too, where it's sure. like a redirect yeah. moment you didn't know you needed. We definitely experienced that. Yeah. I mean, it, of course, it'd be nice sometimes to cut out all the steps and cut out all the journey with our North American efficiencies, but sometimes that that journey part is really important. So Very much, yeah. Um, well, talk a little bit about what is your own, what do your rhythms look like? You know, what it, what is your, in order to stay in that place of connection and that, you know, partnering with God, what are your own rhythms look like to maintain that? Yeah. Richard Foster talks about daily rhythms, weekly rhythms, mm -hmm. maybe monthly or sometimes quarterly rhythms, annual rhythms. I have some of those. I don't know if I'm as strict about some of the annual rhythms. There are practices that I do, but at the daily level, I'm pretty committed to uh, having some daily prayer time where I'm drawing away in solitude and silence with the Lord. For me, mm -hmm. usually that's the beginning and a little bit at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, I was, I struggle to talk about personal practices because I don't want sure. it to become uh, like a, a mandate for somebody else. But for me, I'm sure. I'm, sure. In the Word every day, um, I take I read through the Psalms on a right now. It's every two month schedule. I used to do it on a monthly basis. It just kind of became a little dry for me, so I'm slowing it down a little bit. Mm. And you know, practices of prayer, practices of silence in that time have become really profound for me. Just to be still, I realize how much is raging inside yes. of me that I just yeah. need to get to a place of stillness. And my reading of scripture right now is I'm um, going through the, the gospels over the course of a year at a very slow pace and kind of mm -hmm. writing little poem reflections out of those that force me to process a little bit more of what's there for me in that. And then at the end of the night, Kelly, my wife and I, who's, as, as you know, John's a spiritual director, uh, we do kind of a nightly examine experience together that is yeah. good for us. Um, Weekly Sabbath is so key for me. Hmm, yeah. Um, Friday is my day off, my Sabbath, and I am very rigorous, unless it's an emergency, of not checking my email, not checking my phone, getting out yeah. in nature, doing things that are restorative. Uh, I hate taking naps, to be honest, but sometimes I'll take a nap <laughs> on those days just because I realize I'm depleted. Uh, a lot of uh, just time of things that are refreshing that restore my soul, like it says in Psalm 23. And uh, we also, over the years, although our kids are getting older now, we've had like a weekly family night, which may not seem like a spiritual rhythm, but I think has become incredibly important for our family sure. yeah. uh, to have a weekly kind of rotating, fun, relational engagement night where nothing can really interrupt that for us. Yeah. And uh, I see, I meet with a spiritual director on a monthly basis, and that has been very, very powerful for me, mm -hmm. um, uh, leading me into some really deep places that I don't think I would go otherwise. Yeah. And I'm so grateful for uh, those who've served in that role in my life at different times and my current spiritual director as well. And then trying to do some things that are sort of like, maybe not quarterly, but from time to time, drawing away for longer soul care type of retreats, whether that's a directed experience or just a yeah. solitary experience, been really good. Yeah. You keep posting pictures of beautiful places you end up in <laughs> <laughs> on microblog. On Some my of those are just places I go on a, on a, you know, Friday hike. There's some sure. beautiful hiking up and around this, this part of uh, Wisconsin. Sometimes there are places I've gone um, 
as part of other things. I'm, I'm part of a doctor of ministry a cohort that's about to conclude. And we've been able to go to some really beautiful places as part of that. And sure. I just love the beauty of God's creation. I'm sure a lot of people yeah. can resonate with that. It's restorative Absolutely. to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, seeing those pictures is, uh, it's good. It, I mean, there's a, there's a way you can do those that it feels like it's bragging, you know, look at the traveler I am. And, but there's also a way that you can do it that feels like an invitation of this is good for all of us, you know, and that's how I take it. So <laughs> that's good. That's um, good. Wait, you, you talk about meeting with a spiritual director. I'm wondering, um, what is that? How do you prepare for that? Do you find yourself going into that each month with this is what I need to talk about this week? Or do you find that it really, you need to come in open-handed just to explore, you know, what's happening with you each time? That is a great question. Um, there are times where I have come in with pretty specific topics and I may even kind of relay that to my spiritual director ahead of time, hmm. but I try to really come open-handed most of the time. Uh, some uh, really for me as a, as a senior pastor, working with a multi-staff church, I lead a lot of things. And it's really easy for me to get into that kind of leading. I'm going to take this someplace. Um, and I really feel like there are places where I really need to not do that. And so my, my tendency is with in my spiritual direction sessions is just to come open-handed and see yeah. you know, really where does God want to lead and how can the spiritual director take me into that in some way. Um, I think in some ways that's like a spiritual discipline for me of coming to that uh, open-handed. Uh, Henry Nouwen talks about in the name of Jesus being led instead of leading as yeah. one of the callings of those in ministry. And that's, that's kind of like a conviction I have in those settings, even though I know in other places I need to lead under the leading of, of God, of course. Yeah. You, you referenced in passing something that's behind my next question earlier, which is a little bit of hesitation to talk about your own personal practices. So they don't, so they don't become prescriptive. That's not the word you used, but that's kind of the, the word. And I think one of the tensions we experience is because, because there almost has been uh, almost a, a legalism under around spiritual practices, just an expectation. And that's, that's all that, the Christian faith is, it's just somebody who does their quiet time or whatever those practices are. Right. Yeah. And I think one of the, I think one of the downsides of that is um, we don't, we don't cultivate them often in others. Like we, I, I often feel like, you know, especially in my early years in ministry, my own practices were assumed, um, mm. you know, and there were books recommended or I can ask questions of, you know, people who were further down the road, but that spiritual life wasn't necessarily cultivated for me, you know, hmm. or, um, and I, so that's a, that's a long intro to a very practical question, which is simply, how did you learn the practices you have now? Mm -hmm. Like, how are they being passed along? That's a great, that's a great question too, because I went through a season of time. I have a joke with some of my friends in college. We were so enamored with certain figures that we would just try to imitate them. You know, we went sure. through a phase where we were fascinated with John and Charles Wesley and the Holy Club in Oxford. And so we're like, well, yeah. we're going to do exactly what those guys did. And I think there are ways that you can learn from that. But I think what I kind of learned from that is there are spiritual practices that are appropriate in certain seasons, certain times of our life. And part of the work is discerning 
what is appropriate to that season while also knowing the resources that are out there. Um, when I was in college, I, I first read Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline and sure. it yeah. totally blew me away. I was not exposed to that. I did. I grew up in a Presbyterian church, but it was almost like a Bible church in the sense of, you know, hey, read read the Bible every day, pray every day. It was kind of like that was spiritual practices. And yep. then reading Foster just opened the the windows, the doors to new territory I hadn't really been familiar with up to that point, you know, kind of became entry point to all that Renovari was a part of with Dallas Willard and other things. Yeah. So I think I think Willard was key for me, Foster was key for me. And then there were some mentors in my life. Again, I was at Wheaton College, so it's a, a unique setting. I was an English major as an mm. undergrad, but I also was kind of a Christian ministries spiritual formation minor. And there was one professor who just took me under his wing and he said, why don't we meet and pray together on a monthly basis? And so we would, I would meet him at his office and walk in and basically sit down and we would just pray together. Hmm. I had never experienced anything like that before. The way that he yeah. prayed, the way he opened scripture was really, really powerful for me. And then um, another mentor kind of through college and afterwards, who also was the pastor who officiated me and Kelly's wedding. Um, he also did a lot to just expose me to historical church. We were part of kind of an Anglican church at that time and opening me up to the daily office, opened me up to the, the Christian year, which I was familiar with. Um, but I would say all these kind of experiences kind of broadened and deepened, ended up participating in some silent retreats at a local Catholic retreat house and things like that. And so just, yeah. just lots of exposure and some people who kind of mentored me into certain things that I just kind of gathered. I almost view it as like a, a toolbox of resources sure. yeah. for spiritual growth. And then I've taken those things and just, you know, continue to pursue and learn and grow in those things myself. Yeah. What, I mean, what a gift. Cause I feel like the, yeah way you just answered that question is not very common. You know, that there's that kind of, I'm going to meet with you one-on-one -on -one, or I'm going to meet with this small group of people and we're just going to learn, you know, these practices together. But, yeah. you know, that because you can read a book about them, right? Or you Absolutely. can, um, you can hear somebody talk about them, but it's a, it's a different thing to, you know, be kind of be guided in it, you know, and, mm -hmm. and have someone help you experience that. Yeah, and I think yeah. I think being able to have someone guide you in it takes some pressure off. And sure. then also some of the things I learned just in that process, I learned, you know, it wasn't just that I learned how to pray with this guy who prayed with me. He would open the Bible and pray scripture. And I was like, well, I have never had somebody pray out of a book of the Bible in this way or open something up. So you learn other things by being with a person. And I've read, man, I'll, I'll read, I'm a voracious reader. I'll read, sure. you know, Adele Calhoun's book on spiritual formation. I'll read all of Willard stuff, you know, Foster, you can go on and on and, and Thomas Merton and so many others. So valuable. I would never, ever downplay that. But there is a something different that happens through mentoring or being part of a group setting. Um, I'm, like I mentioned, I'm in a doctor of ministry group right now. And the, the person who leads that does an amazing job of drawing out different spiritual traditions and practices within that group. So when we have daily mm -hmm. prayer or things like that, yeah. sometimes we'll do it in very different styles. And so I'm learning in community from others who are 
their experience is so different from me. But to be in a trusting community to learn that is so different than me just reading a book about that tradition. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what is that? What does that look like then in your church? Like what is with the passion you have for formation? Um, there's also the business of the church that's always going on, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And yeah. Th- those are in, those appear to me to be intention all the time, at least from my own experience. And I'm curious, what does it look like to cultivate formation in your church? Yeah. And I wish, John, that I had the absolute figured out. You've solved it. To this. Man, <laughs> I've got it. I'm going to bring that book to the table. No, I, I think, you know, I'm still learning that. I'm still trying to figure out certain ways. There are certain places where I can just integrate it in. So like an example would be in our Sunday services, we do a lot. We're a non-denominational church, probably more out of the Baptistic tradition, mm-hmm. and we follow the church calendar. So it's not rigid on certain days like ordinary time, but um, the church here has become significant to us. So when yeah. Advent rolls around, we have a devotional we write together from within the church, and that shapes the approach to Advent. Uh, Lent has become very significant for us at Eastbrook. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Again, we we write a devotional. It's written by people from within the church. We do a series that started off with, you know, Ash Wednesday service, Journey to the Cross service, and goes through Holy Week. You know, it's very profound. And so that that journey of the church here, I view it. You know, Jamie, Jamie Smith and his work on cultural liturgies talks a lot about these sort of subtle, non cognitive ways that we're shaped spiritually. So for yeah. me, the spiritual. Uh, shaping that happens through the church calendar, liturgical year, is is significant in a way I think people don't realize. Yeah. So that's that's been one thing that I brought in. Uh, it, it existed a little bit at Eastbrook, but I've, I've made a bigger emphasis on that. Yeah. Um, the community aspect around some of those things. It's provided opportunities for us to enter into more. Uh, I would say reflective, contemplative practices, contemplative mm. approaches to prayer, solitude, yeah. silence, Lexio Divina, even in some of those services that might be a little out of the ordinary for a church of our type otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think the the rhythms of the church here, some of how we approach worship services, some of what happens in the midst of a sermon. I think I used to be pretty much aiming at information download in the past. Yeah, yeah. And so I view... I've read all these books and all of you need to hear everything I've read. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I got this. I got this. You need to hear these things. But I think think another side of it is, you know, when you're preaching, it's really part of the worship experience. So if that's true and we're in conversation with God, even in the worship around the word, how does that become a transformative experience? So sometimes I'll lead us into contemplative times of prayer as I'm preaching. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I've led the congregation in singing in response to things so that there's Mm -hmm. There's something different happening there. It's not always like that. I mean, you'll, I'll still do an exegetical sermon on Philippians 2 or something. Sure, sure. But trying to get that to be different. And then in some of our life as a church, you know, we, we still have some of the typical things you would see, like small groups. We have children's ministry. Sure. All yeah. those things. But we're, we're really trying to wrestle through. In fact, this year, we're really having some conversation around spiritual formation and discipleship. What does it look like to intend to grow spiritually individually and together how do we get a sense of where the church is at like a lot of churches we've experienced a lot of change since 2020 yeah and we're we're trying to figure out who we are and what what we're going to be about in the years to come so some of it is just asking questions right now i think and looking at some of those things 
and making sure that we have a sense of what what are some of the ingredients of spiritual formation of discipleship that we want to make sure are there and have we thought that through and are we opening those opportunities to people i don't know if i'm answering your question but i feel like almost i have more questions yeah uh, than i used to I've read books like Renovation of the Church, which was really influenced by Dallas Willard or, or yeah. Jim Wilhoit's book, um, which is also kind of trying to take Willard stuff, you know, James Brian Smith stuff, trying to take these things, yeah. curriculum for Christ likeness, and put them into place. I've struggled to figure out how that would work at Eastbrook. And sometimes it's because of some of the multi ethnicity and the diversity within our congregation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're still trying to figure out how does that also shape the way we do. Uh, spiritual practices and spiritual formation. Yeah. And, and you also mentioned earlier, um, I mean, it, first of all, I, I appreciate the honesty of that. I, I did not expect you had, well, we've got it figured out and here's how we do it. Right. Cause <laughs> I, I think that's a, I think that's a dynamic activity. You know, it's, yes. it's going to be, it's going to be changing. You're going to be learning how to do it. And, and in the same way that you describe, you have a tool chest of practices Individually, it seems like that would be true for a church, right? Mm-hmm. It's just being, yeah. yeah. Um, I think one other thing I just want to say about it too, John, as I'm yeah. reflecting is, you know, one of the things I view myself as a pastor or almost a primary pastor to my own staff. We have a staff about right. 35 to 40 people. So I'm trying to also develop these things into them and hoping and praying that yeah. that overflows into their ministry areas. So we have opened up for our staff opportunities to meet with spiritual directors. We, When we do a staff retreat, the direction we go with that is different than it used to be. So a couple mm-hmm. of years ago, we had a spiritual director lead that staff retreat in a way that was very stretching for some of our staff mm-hmm. and continuing to do some of those things. So um, trying to lead the staff into those places is also a primary way that I view that shaping the church. It may seem indirect, but I think it will overflow to some degree at least. Yeah, no, no. I think that's spot on. You just stole the question I was about to ask. Because <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned earlier that, you know, when you alleviated that executive pastor role, that allowed you to move into that mm-hmm. space a little more. Um, and so I was curious to hear what that would look like. So is that, yeah. do you feel like that's the most of it right there? Or do you feel like there's other pieces to that? Yeah, I mean, I think some of it is even just more direct contact with some of my senior area leaders. So I'm trying to, you know, I'm we're, we're working through the ministry programming. That might seem like a bad word, but there's got to be some ministry programming. We're working through the administration. We're also though trying to be attentive to how is it with your soul? That kind of question. What right, is right. happening? What's the inner terrain? What's the weather like? And are you attentive to it? How do I? pray with you about that. How do we be attentive to God together? So some, some things probably that I've learned from my own spiritual director, some things that Kelly has taught me as a spiritual director, I'm trying to bring those things into some of that work with the staff one-to-one as well as in our staff meetings and other things. Uh, We're instituting kind of a weekly half hour prayer time that sort of overflows from uh, some of the work with Transforming Center, which I haven't done, but am connected to some aspects of that. So just taking people into some fixed hour prayer yeah. that allows us just to be a spiritual community together, not yeah. just a ministry programming community or ministry implementing community. Yeah. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with being a ministry implementing community, no. but it's it's really easy for that to, you know, the 
like I said earlier, North American efficiency. Like, let's make the most of this time we have together because we're spending a lot of money as a church to bring these 45 staff members together. So, yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, You mentioned earlier, you know, just your Sabbath and getting out in nature and and all that. But I'm curious if you have other hobbies or activities that you know that you know you need to maintain because they help you stay healthy. Yeah. I mean, I, I mentioned I was an English major uh, in college. I love to read. Yeah. Uh, so I always have at least a few books going on at the same time. And for me, a big part of that reading is also fiction and poetry. Yeah. So I love reading fiction and poetry. First of all, just because it's so it's refreshing for me. And also, you know, it, it gives me an avenue into sometimes the deep terrain of the soul that I wouldn't get otherwise. Right. Um, I write a lot. So, uh, journaling is a big thing for me, mm. reflective journaling, poetry writing, mostly bad poetry, I would say, but still <laughs> good for me. Um, so, I love to do that. And um, sometimes those things work out into other things that I'm working on. I, I do write for some other places online in article form, but for me, mostly the writing and the journal is just my own spiritual exploration. Sometimes it's things that come out of a spiritual direction session that I need to process further. Uh, sometimes it's prayers. Uh, sometimes, like I said, it's poetry and those things are all good for me. Yeah. And then um, I, I know I also have to get into my body to be spiritually mm. healthy. So yeah. um, hiking, uh, I'm not a big multi-day hiker, but getting out for day hikes and just enjoying yeah. God's creation, getting my body moving oftentimes sort of clarifies things for me. Um, I, I run as basically an aid to my mental health, not because I want to mm-hmm. love running, but running a few times a week has also been one of the things that helps me stay mentally clear. And yeah. I think also disperses some of the the clouds that can gather around on the interior of my life, at least. Um, so those are all things. And then you know, Kelly and I have been married for 25 years and she is yeah. my best friend, which feels like the thing you're supposed to say on a podcast, but it's true for sure. me. And so we, we love having time together, conversations, um, having that like a regular time where we're just going out for a date or having a conversation on a walk. That is really restorative to me because she, um, she helps me see things that I don't see and very insightful. And I'm so grateful for her presence in my life. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so the flip side of that is how do you know when you aren't doing well? (laughs) It's so evident. Yeah, (laughs) to everybody but you. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Uh, usually, um, yeah, I can think of a time just even this last week. Uh, we had a huge, huge ministry event a couple weeks, weekends ago. We do like a big annual leadership gathering for our church on a Saturday morning. And then we have an outdoor worship service on Sunday with a big picnic afterwards. We all know it's going to be a really, really busy week or weekend. And then the way the calendar fell, then I had a night meeting on the Monday right after that. And so by about Tuesday, yeah, I had just run myself down so bad that, um, and I have this tendency to maybe not take the comp time I need or get catch a deep breath. And so then, by the time I get to you know Friday, which is my Sabbath, I'm I'm toast. Yeah. I feel yeah depressed. I don't want to do anything. And so those are the signs for me. You know, am I sleeping well or not? Am I 
um, am I wanting to do anything or not? Am I, am I down in the dumps? Am I depressed? Like those are the signs that I probably haven't been taking care of myself. So that was like a big conversation I had with Kelly and a lot of self-reflection of what am I doing to be attuned to that beforehand? You know, how do I proactively plan for those things so I don't run myself down? And then I also see it in my interactions with people around me. You know, I'll be quick to temper or frustration and, you know, the opposite of God, you know, quick to anger and slow to slow to patience and love. Those are always signs that something's not right. And I probably haven't been doing probably the right rhythms of life, right rest. I probably am not engaging the places I need to be or attentive to the places I need to be. And uh, it's pretty pretty easy to see. Yeah. I feel like usually I'm better than th- at that than I had been this last week. So it was also kind of disappointing to me because I'm like, oh mm-hmm. man, I should be doing this better. Yeah. Um, so I think being willing just to admit it, learn from it and, and uh, recalibrate is so, so key. Um, at least for me, yeah. um, I find that a lot of ministry leaders, we all some of us want to be perfect. We want to like, right. I'm doing this perfect and we're not going to do it perfect. We're going to, we're going to stumble. We're going to fall. We've got to like pick ourselves up and learn from it and keep going and just adjust. And instead of pretending something that's not right is okay. You know, and I think that's really, for me at least has been the places where I've seen myself and other leaders really get into trouble is not paying attention to the things that everybody else can probably see or sense that we have to pay attention to in our lives. I, I mean, I appreciate, I just appreciate you, you sharing all that and, and so much of what you've shared about your own journey. I, I would love to know who do you hope, who do you hope you're becoming? Like, who do you hope to be in 10 years? Hmm. Is the answer Jesus, John? Is that what I'm supposed to say? <laughs> I don't no, think I'm just you're joking. I don't think you're allowed to answer that. <laughs> uh, that, I mean, I feel like that's such a hard question to answer in some ways and then in other ways, I feel like it's it's easier to answer. I mean, I, I do I do hope that in the next 10 years, and I, I hope this doesn't sound trite or something, I do hope that that the fruit of the Spirit are more evident in my life and that the relationships closest to me would, those people would be refreshed in Christ by being around me more than they would today. Um, and I, even as I say that, I'm thinking, man, this sounds so cheesy. And yet, I feel like that's what I long for most. Yeah. I do have things, you know, I'm pursuing and I love being a pastor. So, yeah. I still want to be a pastor. I've had opportunities to go do other things. And, and I just, I like pastoring people and being a part of that work in a local church is not easy. And yet I think it's part of my calling. I also hope that out of that pastoral identity, I'll be able to be an encouragement to others in ministry, uh, pastors and others as well. Um, I've been doing some more writing and I don't uh, know where that's all going to go, but I'm really encouraged about that. And, and I hope and pray that somehow that will all be an encouragement to others in ministry. I feel like that's where one of my heartbeats is at mm. of letting, yeah. you know, I see the decline of the church in North America. I see more pastors letting go of their calling and, and it's not everybody's calling. So I don't, sure. I don't 
misunderstand me, but whatever I can do to encourage and equip pastors for what they're doing in a way that reflects true spiritual formation, not just ministry activity, but something that's really flowing out of the Holy Spirit's movement in their setting and, and is unique to their setting. You know, if I could, if I could look, if I could look more like Jesus and maybe a little bit like Eugene Peterson, that would feel pretty good to me um, <laughs> in 10 years. Uh, he's one of my great, great heroes. So I so much respect the work that he's done as a pastor and with pastors. Yeah. I hope that um, some of that could be part of what I do too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that his voice just lives on. You know, I, I remember talking to a friend several years ago who was in a job where he supported pastors and he said, Eugene Peterson would never be the guy who's invited to speak at any of these conferences because his church isn't big enough, right? But yet he still has just this lasting influence. It's so helpful. So, yeah. I go back to his works again and again. All those pastoral library books, especially working the angles has been very profound yeah. for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I appreciate you acknowledge that it feels cheesy to say it. I'd love to think that we could get to a place where some of that doesn't feel cheesy. You right. know, the, the metaphor I always think of is like, I, I don't know the last time I was in a Christian bookstore, <laughs> but if you would, you know, on a back wall or a side wall, they always have a whole bunch of art with Bible verses over it or photos. And it's always like some kind of photo of a stream or some devotional book has a photo of a stream on the cover and it just seems so trite, right? But mm-hmm. I've never come across a stream in nature that feels trite. Like anytime I come to one, I just want to linger and listen. Yes. And um, yeah, if, if there's a way we can recover those conversations in the same way that they don't feel mm-hmm. trite and cheesy, but yeah, genuine and yeah. So I feel like one of the gate, gateway pictures for me on that is Psalm 1. You know, that picture of someone who has sent their roots down deep into the life with God. Their life is flourishing. You know, it says that their leaves never wither. Hmm. And this image for me is always there of somehow the fruit of that tree going forth to nourish others' lives. That's maybe that's my answer to your question. You know, who do I hope to be in in 10 years? I hope to be of Psalm 1 type of yeah. life that's stronger in Christ and more nourishing to those around me than I've ever been before. That would be good. Yeah. Um, so one, one final question for you, you've publicly teased that and you've teased it even a little bit here. You've got a book in the works. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. It comes out of some of my work in, in uh, my doctoral program and um, is an exploration of pastoral ministry, ministry through the lens of agrarian work, uh, mm. specifically putting alongside of the image, the you know, pastor as shepherd, which yeah. is fairly disconnected from our North American context for most of us, the image of the pastor as gardener or farmer, really yeah. out of the image of uh, 1 Corinthians 3, where Paul says, I planted Apollos watered and God's the one who gave the growth. So I'm using that kind of text as an entry point into an exploration of scripture that we could understand the environment of ministry, Hmm. the soul, the soil of ministry, uh, the ministry community that forms and nurtures us, and then also the practices of ministry. So that's what I'm working on. Um, Really thrilled that I was able to sign a contract with Erdman's publishers, and hopefully that'll come out 
I'm thinking 2025. Uh, my deadline for the uh, draft manuscript is August 2024. So it'll be a little while, but uh, I've got a good headway on the work. I'm really, really excited to work with them and excited for the opportunity. And I'm just praying, again, that it'll be encouragement to others in ministry. Yeah. I bet that year is going to go really fast. <laughs> you <know that laughs> it's year to go really fast. <laughs> Well, Matt, it's it's a pleasure to meet you. It's a pleasure to connect in person, and I hope we can do more of this. But thanks so much for sharing your journey and your heart with us today. Yeah, thanks for all you're doing, John, for your work with people and for this podcast. And yeah, grateful to spend time with you and looking forward to continuing conversation. Yeah, thank you. All right.